<sighs> All right. Hey, y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today, we're going to be talking a bit, taking a bit of a departure from our normal content and talking more in depth about community defense during the uprising. Uh, but first things first, how's it going for you, Bushido? Ah, it's going all right. It's, uh, it was kind of a long weekend. I was out of uh, town for a little bit doing some camping uh, out in the Channel Islands, and it seems like a lot of shit went down here uh, while I was out. Uh, yeah, it's been a it has been indeed a busy day or busy you know, few days here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, some absolutely wild shit was going on in Beverly Hills, but we'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, it, it also has been insanely hot and there've been like rolling blackouts and just absolute insanity all around. Um, yeah, 600 fires burning at this point or more uh, than that? Yeah, no, my friend who's up in uh, in San Francisco is like looking at that AQI as it's working its way down the coast. Uh, and, you know, it's it's terrifying to think about the fact that like Sonoma County caught a huge break last night by not having any more thunderstorms or anything else coming through that would whip up winds or cause more lightning strikes. Um, yeah, because shit is getting extremely real up north. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to, uh, first, before we really get into the, the news and, you know, talking about Corona and any of these other things, um, I've got a great little tweet that you put up and I'm, I forgot to load it in here, but it is, oh, come on, where'd it go? I had it. There it is. Bingo. Let me drop that in. Uh, image. Yeah, it's, it's not being cooperative because we're already live. Nah. <laughs> this is just one of those fun uh, little side pieces that you learn as you're uh, as you're doing this stuff. Is that sometimes uh, everything just breaks on you? Um, yeah. But yeah. So before we get started, let's go ahead and talk about this little thing that happened <laughs> and I've got the video playing behind it on top of it, which is not intended. There we go. We'll take the video off. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about this tweet that you put out there? <laughs> no, it was just, it was just really stupid. Um, so yeah, just play the video. It's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> I found your tweet amusing for what it's worth. Uh, but yeah, here we go. Stay home, save lives. Hold on, we're going to change it to a totally different message here before the end of the video. So uh, Discover LA put out a really dumb tweet that uh, also was pretty quickly taken down 
but before they got it taken, before they took it down, they had a, a number of people respond to them and point out how absolutely asinine it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, especially the the whole idea of pumping one point four billion dollars into the economy, because um, that's not not a lot of money uh, when it comes down to it for a city the size of L.A. Like our our annual city budget is you know twelve billion dollars. Um, so also, where where would the money be coming from? I don't know a lot of people that have like hotel stay money yeah. just lying around at this point, <laughs> especially when the hotels are costing like on average three hundred and something dollars a night. Um, I mean, also, like, aren't we supposed to be housing 15,000 people in those hotel rooms? Like, well, wasn't wasn't that funny. a plan at some point? It's funny that you would ask that because uh, I just happened to pull up this convenient little graph of saying, oh, shit, we're yeah. not getting anywhere fucking close to it. Um, I actually I, I, I was double checking myself earlier uh, as to whether or not I was pulling up the one from this week or the one from two weeks ago, the last time we talked about it. And then I remember that it actually hasn't changed. Uh, mm -hmm. at all in that time period and it made me very sad because um, we are just utterly failing our unhoused population here in the city of Los Angeles as we have been doing for decades um, so yeah shit's fucking bleak and we're here just you know doing the same thing that we do all the time in the city of not handling uh, the crisis well and you know seeing the um, the Discover LA organization which is um, part of uh, it's a it's part of a bid i believe a business improvement district uh coming out there and just being like throw your bodies onto the pyre of uh capitalism and we shall save our economy with your 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 uh flesh and your blood uh is just extremely bleak but also extremely on brand for the current state of affairs um that being said uh let's take a look at some of our uh, coronavirus updates because they are not great as you would probably guess yeah so uh we are up to fortunately you know things are going down um which is nice uh but it's also worth pointing out that there was that massive backlog of cases that were uh not being handled properly there was a a big issue with the state level uh coronavirus database tracking system uh, and it and it caused a huge issue in terms of that immediate spike, uh, both down and then back up again. Uh, we are currently on a downward trend, which is great, but you know let's not hold our breath just yet. And also remember, just because it's going down doesn't mean that it's safe for everybody to be running around without a mask on, contrary to what I see in downtown LA all the time. Uh, as yep. of this recording, we're up to 673,678 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. Uh, we had 32 or 3,216 new confirmed cases yesterday, which was a Sunday and Sundays are all of those, all of the little blips in this, uh, graph that are the short days, uh, are basically all Sundays. And for, so for mm -hmm. whatever reason with the reporting mechanisms, Sundays are the low days. Uh, we had already surpassed 5,554 today by the time we're recording this. And we are now also up to 12,198 deaths in the state. Uh, due to the virus, 15 of them reported yesterday, already more than 46 so far today. Uh, a couple of, you know, things to keep in mind again, that the, there was that big spike in, um, in the data reporting that caused that, that issue with the caseload, but, uh, the deaths by day count is not affected by that. Um, 
here in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, we're up to 232,937 confirmed cases of COVID-19, uh, 1,234 today so far by the time we recorded this, uh, 931 yesterday, again, Sundays being the low day. Uh, we are up to a shocking 5,560 deaths in the county due to the virus, eight of them yesterday, more than 15 already today. So that's uh, kind of where we're at at the moment when it comes to COVID-19 in the state of California. Uh, we are the number one state in the country, and Los Angeles is the biggest cool. uh, county in the state, so therefore we are the number one county in the country. Um, yep. This sucks. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I know. And I mean, especially, you know, LAUSD hasn't opened yet, um, but the the city's also not providing any help for people who are trying to school their kids at home or trying to, like, do distance learning. Um, I don't think it's going to last very well for a lot of these kids because um, they don't want to sit in front of a Zoom for, like, seven hours. Like, if you were eight years old, that would be just absolute torture. Uh, yeah. uh, and then you also have parents who are, like, probably getting forced back to work who are somehow supposed yeah. to pull double duty on that. Yeah. And I'm really just not sure why the city isn't exploring, like, smaller learning pods um, or neighborhood-based stuff. And I know a lot of it is because, like, a lot of uh, LAUSD teachers can't afford to live in the city of L.A. anymore. They've been priced out. But, like, instead of exploring, like interesting and like sustainable ways to keep doing education in a smaller more like student focused format at least to get through the pandemic this you know LAUSD is just doing the same bullshit that they always do trying to pretend like this is just normal education time and not changing anything about their current practices so yeah I don't uh, I don't see this like I know the trends are going a little bit better but I don't see this ending anytime soon because every time it starts to trend better people go outside and then it just kicks back up yeah, exactly. I mean, we had the notorious situation of uh, the rushed reopening with um, Mayor yep. Garcetti pushing the alfresco situation. Uh, Catherine Barger really pushing hard to get Newsom to grant us an exception to move things forward much faster than we were actually realistically prepared to do. Uh, mm-hmm. They had all of that bullshit back uh, at the end of May where literally overnight the rules changed and all of these bars and restaurants were told y'all can just open up it's fine don't worry about it and Mm -hmm. it's just an unbelievable it's an impossible situation for the businesses it's an impossible situation for the workers and uh we still only have two meetings a week uh from the la city council Uh, (laughs) yeah god damn like what why why can they not just do their damn job and like actually give us some protections here like we've got evictions are about to start we've got unlawful detainers being posted on doors we've got yeah. the we already were facing the largest housing crisis in the state arguably in the country and now this county and this city are just putting the fucking ostrich head in the sand and pretending that nothing is wrong and we're about to go headlong into this like absolute tsunami of evictions because that's the word everybody keeps using or whatever the fuck phrase you want to be using. It's I I'm honestly at a loss for loss of words for, or loss for words on how to talk about this because it's just the scale of the problem that we're going to be facing is just unheard of, unprecedented, mm-hmm. completely something we're completely unprepared for. And 
the idea of adding hundreds of thousands more Angelinos to our unhoused population in a matter of months while we're getting into the some of the hottest periods of the of the year as well as into the heart of fire season again like half of the state's already on fucking fire as it is and now we're about to start you know i'm sure we're going to be seeing fires here in la county starting up pretty soon uh there Mm -hmm. haven't been any big ones yet or actually any that i'm aware of but like the north end of the state is totally on fire well there were those there were those fires in santa clarita uh fair but the like the impact of those fires on people's health while we're in the middle of a respiratory infection pandemic, like, and then people are going to be outdoors and having to sleep outside in tents, more people having to sleep yeah. outside. Like, well, they've, yeah, they've, in, in Northern California, the Red Cross is actually renting out hotel rooms, especially like prioritizing the most vulnerable people. But um, I think right now they've got about 2,200 people evacuated in total. Um, and, it's like the thing the thing that I'm worried about is uh, this isn't even the big fire season. Like the big fire season doesn't start until September, October, when like the Santa Ana's and the, the fall winds yep, yep. kick up and really drive a lot of the fires very quickly. Um, and so this is just kind of a preview of what's to come. And especially if we have more of this hot, dry weather going into the, the, the fall, it's just going to be more massive fires. Like right now, the second and third largest fire in modern history are burning at the same time, like 50 miles away from each other. Yeah, no, uh, totally at a loss. But uh, despite the fact that everything is going to absolute and complete shit here in the state of California when it comes to our housing situation and when it comes to dealing with climate climate change and the uh, our governor's complete inability to take any action to rein in the fossil fuel industry or do anything of consequence to actually protect people, uh, mm-hmm. we decided that we are going to take a look back at some more take a little bit of a historical perspective on some of the more some of the the recent events and then also touch back to like contextualize what is going on now and talk more just about what what it means to try to stay safe during this time of yeah. social unrest and uprising so yeah. uh let's just go ahead and dive right into this so the everything the context for what we're doing going through right now really kind of kicks back to our favorite boys with tiki torches yeah the uh proud boys and other neo-nazi aficionados who all converged on charlottesville virginia back in 2017 so this was the unite the right rally that was held august 11th and 12th in charlottesville the rally yeah. started with the now infamous Tiki Torchlit March of neo-Nazi protesters to the University of Virginia campus. They shouted racist and anti-Semitic slogans, including Jews will not replace us. Uh, yep. Interestingly, this, I believe, was actually the first time that the mainstream as press... well as, as go ahead. Well, and, and also as well as as um, the infamous one blood and soil, which was a, a explicitly Nazi chant. Yes, that is that is correct. Um, they definitely were shout- chanting blood and soil. Um, I was just going to say that, interestingly, I believe that this was the first time that the mainstream press really picked up on the term alt-right uh, and started using mm-hmm. it with regularity. And oddly enough, there was this bizarre consequence that uh, a purported alt-left emerged, uh, which is just wild because it is not a thing. Um, but it was willed into existence by the pundits over at Fox News and other media outlets. Uh, on the mm-hmm. second day of the rally... Uh, absolute devastating tragedy struck uh the james alex fields jr deliberately drove his car into a crowd of peaceful counter protesters 
who had and gathered I, to oppose the neo-Nazis. I, I want to say, and I'm going to flag this video, I'm going to put a link in the comments, but for a really good breakdown on how uh, James Field was able to uh, pull off um, this attack. Uh, there's a really good vi- video by Sean, who's you know the 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 skull skull with sun with sunglasses on uh, Twitter, um, where he really goes by like a minute by minute, hour by hour account, and really points out some of the like insane imagery that was on display there, where you know Charlottesville was not just a group of like sort of racist folks like the alt-right try try to pretend they are there were openly gun carrying confederates and like neo-nazis there and they were very very happy to be caught on camera because they want people to become normalized and to understand that like they exist to an extent and where the where the conflict here really arose was that the the unite the right organizers had pulled a permit for emancipation park because they're assholes and thought that speaking in a place called emancipation park um, was a good idea. And the community turned out to say, no, we're not going to let you into the park. And that was kind of where things went completely fucking sideways is the cops did a terrible job of figuring out where action was going to happen, where they were supposed to be stationed, uh, intervening when things got violent, uh, stopping people from shooting guns. Like there are some videos out there of gunshots literally feet away from state troopers who don't move a muscle. Like they clearly hear the gunshots, but they're just standing by. And then there was a series of bad tactical decisions by the police to pull back some of the car barricades at the end of the day, specifically the intersection where James Fields killed Heather Heyer and injured 18 other people. Um, There was a police officer there or a parking enforcement officer there, uh, basically without any guns or backup. Like this was somebody who would generally be issuing parking tickets and directing traffic after an accident. And they were stationed there to guard that intersection and were like, hey, my ass is hanging out here. I don't feel comfortable out here. So they were called back to a different fallback position. And that intersection was left completely unguarded, allowing fields to uh, accelerate for several hundred feet before slamming into a car in front of him um, and causing all of that mayhem. And obviously, like, we're not going to play the video here. Um, I've seen it way too many times myself. But that's, you know, one reason that we're going to be talking a lot about car attacks is, one, they're scary as hell. But two, they're very easy to pull off. Like, there are a lot of cars. Um, and almost everyone yep. owns a car. Yep. And when it comes to the way that American cities are laid out, they're laid out to be friendly to cars and unfriendly to pedestrians. So when you have thousands of people who are not going to be able to fit on the sidewalks and will have to take up roadways, it becomes very easy to understand how you can attack people with cars. And we've seen this several times, not just yep. from like alt-right people, but we've also seen LAPD and CHP and NYPD and Chicago PD and basically all of them use cars as weapons when trying to disperse protests. Yeah, we we really have. And um, I I did not pull videos of all of that, but they are all extremely easy to find. Um, Speaking of LAPD, they are screaming down the street next to my building. Um, So James Fields, uh, you can actually see him here. He is the... uh, the guy in the khakis with the sunglasses holding up the shield uh, here uh, in his white polo shirt, you know, absolutely the the uniform of the neo-Nazi Proud Boys. Uh, and uh, the so on that second day of the protest, he killed uh, Heather Heyer uh, and injured. It was actually 19 other people. He was convicted of first degree murder and other crimes in late 2018. He also pled guilty to 29 of 30 federal hate crime charges to avoid the death penalty. 
go. We'll go back actually to the image a sec, like a minute ago. Yeah. There we go. Um, I'm just going to quote a little bit here from the Washington Post about what happened and why it was that he ended up being convicted. Quote. He did not deny running into the crowd, but his attorneys argued that he acted to protect himself. Prosecutors forcefully countered that argument, and the jury at the six-day trial rejected the defense. Jurors were shown a deleted Instagram post by Fields shared three months before that crash that featured a car running into a group of people. A caption read, quote, you have the right to protest, but I'm late for work, end quote. And also, Which, he, he was caught on um, other uh, social media platforms talking with known fascist organizers about the possibility of staging a car attack at Charlottesville, whether or not there would be the opportunity. He specifically brought his car to Charlottesville like he could have carpooled with other people. Um, And immediately when it happened, like one reason I knew this was a coordinated attack just from watching Nazis online was that as soon as the attack happened, within about an hour, there were right-wing and alt-right personalities talking about how James was confused and he's not that bright and he just got lost and the protesters attacked him and somebody shot at him or pointed a gun at him. There was an entire canned narrative there to try and explain away his culpability. And it, it set off red flags for me because you only have those talking points ready that quickly and with that many people tweeting out essentially the same thing if you've planned it beforehand, right? And like a lot of these folks probably didn't know the the who and the what exactly but knew like hey there's something coming be ready to deflect this blame Mm -hmm. and it's it's something that's a big tell on the alt-rights part where whenever something goes wrong they attempt to spin it and make sure that folks know like that's not their responsibility that's not their intention um that they would never condone such a thing because they're fucking lying through their teeth you know at the same time as soon as these mostly men were done uh talking about how it wasn't Uh, James Field's fault when Heather Heyer's passing was announced they quickly explained why oh she deserved to die and she was healthy and obese and just died of a heart attack anyways and tried to paint it as her fault for being the victim here because that's really all that they know how to do is they're they're not in a mindset where they want the general public to come over to their side what they are is in a general mindset where they want to be given the big enough window to create violence and chaos so that something has to be done, be it like a law enforcement crackdown, be it some sort of a curfew, some sort of a declaration of martial law, but they are true accelerationists. Like yeah, they're not they just doing this violence for the hell of it. It's, it's they're, you know, they didn't travel to Charlottesville because they wanted to have a picnic. They tra- traveled to Charlottesville to pick fights and try and murder people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, during the trial, also continuing a little bit more from Washington Post, Uh, Quote, a state prosecutor also showed a blown up image of Fields in his car to counter the idea that he was frightened when he acted. Quote, this is not the face of someone who is scared, a state prosecutor said at the time. This is the face of anger, of hatred. It's the face of malice, end quote. Uh, So, yeah, it it was during the trial, which, of course, did come, you know, that was uh, almost a year later at that point when they actually had the trial. Uh, It was it was a long it was a long lead up to the trial, um, which. You know, all things considered, I, you know, am loath to praise anyone in the criminal legal system, but like the prosecutors did it right. And like they knew they couldn't fuck it up. And that I'm going to give them credit on that one. Like they actually did their job. He was a dangerous guy who killed someone and probably would not like we don't have structures in place to legally deal with the consequences for that outside of prison at this point. So like, yeah, that guy can he can rot in a box for all I care. 
Yep. Uh, I think that's probably enough here for laying the groundwork of, you know, showing that this has been a thing that's been going on for quite some time. Um, but then the entire, everything in this country really changed here back when, um, you know, at the end of May when, when George Floyd was, was murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, but I think we could pretty easily say that the true, you know, one of the, the most pivotal moments of uh, all of the, the uprising really changing the national conversation tone was when uh, that third precinct went up in flames. Uh, and, you know, the entertaining factoid for me was the fact that the, uh, the burning of that police precinct in the, during the, the uh, riots that were taking place in Minneapolis as the, you know, form of social uh, angst outlet uh, and frustration outlet that, that they were, the natural release valve mm-hmm. that they had to become, uh, the burning of this police precinct pulled more popularly than uh, any of the presidential candidates in the country. Uh, yep. And, uh, and it's something really that it, it's affairs. something that and it's something we've seen uh, attempted to be repeated in like the, the Portland Police Association uh, or the Police Benevolence Association up in, in Portland. Um, last night in Kenosha, there were attempts to cite the set the courthouse on fire. Uh, pieces of city equipment were set on fire like, you know, it, it unlike a lot of other uprisings like 92 and 68, like the anger and the actions are very directed at the police. It's not as widespread of violence. Like obviously in Minneapolis, there was a lot of liberating that went on. Like there were a lot of stores that got broken into. There was a lot of stuff that like got taken and got, got broken. But the vast majority of actions since then have been very targeted at the police and looking at the police and the apparatus of the state as the ultimate source of that repression. And like we see this in Charlottesville and we see this in the alt-right, the Proud Boys, the three percenters, like the Oath Keepers, like all of those random folks um, that come together to form this kind of like hodgepodge militia on the right are all big fans of law and order because Mm -hmm. ultimately they understand the American project to be one of conquest and to be one of like imposing our will upon a chaotic world or an untamed world and they want that power like with the proud boys with james field with any of these groups they're fundamentally rooted in this uh, place of insecurity and so what they're trying to do is to get themselves by a place of more security by instituting even more extreme insecurity for everyone else believing that they will come out the other side you know, believing the kind of like bullshit John Gulch narrative that they've been fed their entire life. Absolutely. And and to be completely fair, the the apparatus of state exists to protect people like them. It, it, people yes. like us. Masculine presenting white folks are the ones that the state is equipped to protect us and our property. That's what it exists to do. And so the you know by by ratcheting up those tensions and by seeking a crackdown and the institution of martial law they promulgate a a a a, uh you know a future that leans further in the direction of securing their position in society rather than uh you know actually creating liberation for uh the rest of society and it's um yeah it's fucked up um but yeah so the the when when it comes to that particular week of uh, of actions, we were then um, you know there there was a, a peaceful protest that took place in the uh, in Pan Pacific Park here in yeah. Los Angeles, and that was followed by a peaceful march 
that went down the street. And then the police began the, the process of escalation. Well, it was it was weird because and we covered this a little bit, but, you know, yeah. just for the, the timeline, um, as the march made its way down Third Street and eventually got to La Cienega, uh, the the protest kind of stopped and yes. a car tried to drive through the intersection, which caused kind of a bottleneck and a stoppage. And people decided to hold at that intersection. Meanwhile, about four or five blocks behind us, LAPD effectively cut the march in half at Fairfax and third Mm -hmm. um, because there were some speeches taking place in the intersection and LAPD kind of formed up and formed their skirmish line only facing uh, east towards those protesters. Meanwhile, the rest of the march was coming back and it was like when the police realized that they had put themselves in a situation to be surrounded, which was like 100% their dumbass idea. Like, I want to be really clear (laughs) about that. Like, they they did that to themselves. We, we didn't try to kettle the cops, damn it. Yeah, no, they, they did that to themselves and then called in more backup so that they couldn't get surrounded and ended up being surrounded. Like, the crowd didn't break the way that LAPD was hoping they would. And to the north, there was also some, like, kind of running skirmishes between the cops as they went after people. It wasn't until police cut off all avenues of exit except through the Grove that things started really getting broken. Um, and that's when people went into like Nordstrom's and stuff in the Grove was because that was the only way they had to escape. And if you're going to be running through the Grove anyways, and it's the middle of a fucking pandemic and the police are literally threatening you with less than lethal munitions, like, yeah, grab that purse. Fuck it. Why not? Um, but again, these are situations that we see the idea of public safety in the police's hands just failing because the police don't actually care about protecting the public in that situation. Like, Adherence to that oath would mean making sure those protesters get home safely as well. Me would mean not caging people in and then shooting them with tear gas so they run off in a panic. Like yeah. all of those things are detrimental to public safety. But for LAPD, under the guise of well, we're stopping looting, they attack the peaceful protesters. But meanwhile, we've seen in downtown and other areas where that happened that the people who are literally there just to like steal stuff go to the area of town a couple blocks away from where the cops are fighting with the protesters and they can get away with whatever they want. The police will not respond until it's too late. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks on in this cycle that police in downtown LA finally began focusing on people who were breaking into stores and not focusing on the peaceful protesters. And you saw the number of arrests for actual like vandalism and looting go way up. And the thing is, it shouldn't have gotten to that point for the cops anyways, because they should have been smart about where they should prioritize and think about stuff, but they're not thinking about it in that tactical way. Correct. They are thinking about it in a in an enemy versus ally mentality where the protesters calling for LAPD to have less money are the enemies, and the guys who are doing actual prosecutable crime for the sake of doing crime are just sort of like a peripheral thing. Like, that's not the big thing that they really want to care about because I think they want to prove a point about who ultimately controls this city. And so they want to show 20,000 protesters that you can't hold a street while meanwhile people are running off with sneakers and LAPD keeps talking about how they're really upset that people keep stealing the sneakers. Yeah, and while all of this was going on, some absolutely horrifying shit was happening to the peaceful yep. protesters. So, uh, the, like, honestly, I got to say, like, the, the LA Times really dropped the ball during this entire period and had some absolutely just garbage coverage. Like they, they did such a poor job of covering all of the different things that were going on, uh, during this uprising. However, uh, LA taco was just nailing it story after story after story. Their coverage was great. And that's, 
I think in no small part because they had people that were legitimately on the ground and were talking to uh, talking to protesters, getting like real sources versus the LA Times tactic, which they seem to be taking all of the time during this, was report what the cops say, parrot the police blotter narrative and not question it, not do anything about it up until it became like rampantly apparent that, uh, you know, this this shit happened. Like when the LAPD finally, like the use of force was finally being reviewed, the LA Times started to shift their narrative, but LA Taco was on it the whole time. They, they were reporting this brilliantly the whole time. And uh, Maria Castaneda's uh, coverage of the uh, uh, alleged abuse of women and uh, trans folks, uh, femme presenting folks under the LAPD's uh, you know, protective custody or whatever the fuck you want to call it when they were rounding people up during uh, the, you know, calling anything an unlawful assembly because they, they, they had uh, a curfew in place that was insanely mm-hmm. arbitrary in how it was going to be policed and enforced. Uh, yeah, everybody should, I mean, it's horrifying to read, but I highly recommend re- reading Maria's uh, coverage. Yeah. Uh, Mariah, sorry, um, because it's it's incredible reporting, but it is uh, not for the faint of heart. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, Lexis Olivier, uh, his his. Yeah, I mean, he was there in the midst of it. Yeah, really. Third and Fairfax. Really like, powerful person, really powerful firsthand accounts. Absolutely. And and uh, the this the article that I've got the the, the title of uh, up on the screen uh, is his recollection of how it was the scariest days of his life. And I mean, I was talking with him. I saw him there at Third and Fairfax. I said hi and was checking in to make sure that he was OK. Uh, he was in, you know, completely fearless in in the coverage of this and uh took this absolutely iconic photo which i'm actually looking forward to because uh i i ordered a uh a a a print copy of that photo that's supposed to be on its way here so uh support your local journalists for the fucking badass work that they do um but yeah we've we've talked about the that particular weekend uh in some detail and you know things didn't really calmed down i mean they 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 calmed down significantly after that but also that was when the national guard came in um and then the you know protesting in los angeles kind of changed after that and then of course the uh that was that was yeah and that was also when they imposed the the curfew um which turned into uh just an absolute mess in a lot of ways um UCLA turned Jackie Robinson Stadium into a mass processing center for arrestees. Uh, LAPD decided that anyone who was arrested after curfew would have to spend the night in jail uh, because they couldn't let them go home because it was after curfew, um, which meant shipping people all the way out to like Van Nuys if they were arrested in Hollywood and holding them there until six in the morning and then unceremoniously kicking them out with zero bail. Um, And it kind of led to... What we're seeing from LAPD as well as like other police departments like Seattle PD and Portland PD or Portland Police Bureau is arrests and physical force used against protesters uh, in lieu of being able to secure a conviction. Like Mm -hmm. the cops know that most of the arrests that they're making now aren't going to result in a trial or a conviction or even charges in the most part. You know, prosecutors are probably not going to take a lot of these cases uh, anywhere at all if they do take them somewhere. a lot of charges that are like trumped up felony charges will be dropped down to misdemeanors and then probably dismissed or pleaded out um, because prosecutors know that 
trying to find that many juries to convict this many people in this climate is going to be really, really hard. Yep. And that it's not going to be the normal like run of the mill. Plus with the pandemic going on, the courts closed, this could be a year, two years, three years before any of these cases even get on the docket oh, yeah, if they were absolutely. to go to trial. And like by that point, there's no reason to keep prosecuting this. So the police see themselves as as operating as the jury and the prison guard in this case meeting out justice where they see fit, meeting out um, punishment as they see fit. So a lot of the more violent and unhinged tactics we're seeing from PPB and, and Seattle Police Department are coming from a pace of frustration because they know that like their normal power in this world is being stripped. Like Their ability to send someone to jail for a very long time and intimidate them into silence is not really happening. Um, at the same time, we saw this go very wrong for LAPD where they literally just attacked commuters Like yeah. right at 6 o'clock. Yeah. They decided anyone in their car on a road, and it was completely arbitrary. Like. They would just pick a block and just stop everyone on that block and arrest them. And it's like, why? What are you proving with that one? Just to, and, and not even in peaceful arrest. We saw them breaking windows. We saw them, saw them shooting non-lethals at people. We saw them being very aggressive with people who were literally driving home, like mothers and grandmothers and people clearly returning from like work, uh, people clearly traveling home for dinner, uh, all got you know beaten up by LAPD. Yeah. Over this incredibly stupid, unconstitutional curfew, which was then rolled back because of the Black Lives Matter LA <laughs> lawsuit against the yep. city of Los Angeles, which Thank the city you, decided you so we're not. Yeah, but the city decided we're not even going to try and fight this. Like, yep. that's how little they believed in this curfew that they passed. 100%. And I mean, that, that also brings back to like what was going on here in downtown. And like, yeah. they were literally shooting things at people who were on their balconies for filming them. Like people yeah. were getting beanbag rounds shot at their windows of apartments in downtown because the window was open and they were filming what was going on with the with the police in the on the streets of downtown and the cops didn't like that so they pointed their guns up at the windows and shot at yeah. them. It's just like it's absolutely insane. But um, yeah, but so to- so after after that we've kind of seen. Um, We've seen actions continue, like the the Occupy City Hall action is still going for, I want to say they're getting close to 70 days now. Like they're, they're going to, they're pushing our record for uh, Occupy Ice LA, which is, is very cool. Um, But there's also been a resurgence of like pro-Trump rallies happening pretty much on a weekly basis uh, in places like Tahunga and Beverly Hills. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, the Tahunga one in particular uh, is, is something that I wanted to talk about uh, in some depth here because uh, you actually published uh, an article on knock that was uh, given to you, I believe by an anonymous source uh, in in anti-fascist organizing. Um, but basically, there have been weekly protests that have been going on in Tahunga, including just this past weekend where I took this uh, still from ABC7's coverage, uh, where right after co- them declaring things an unlawful assembly, the police immediately started firing uh, less than lethal rounds into the crowd, claiming that there had been a smoke bomb that was thrown in the direction of officers uh, as they set up their skirmish line. But like they were trying so the, apparently the, the LAPD was trying to separate the protesters from the Trump supporters. Uh, they set up that skirmish line. Things got heated. Something got thrown. Yeah. Uh, whether well, or not and, it was a smoke LAPD, bomb that got thrown, we don't know. If we don't trust LAPD. We should not trust LAPD I, on this shit. They lie. Yeah, I, still, I, I haven't seen any evidence, photo, photographic or video, of something being thrown at the cops. I have seen uh, videos and photos of LAPD deploying some sort of pink smoke at protesters. I don't think it was really? tear gas. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, 
I think it was just uh, just smoke, which sometimes the police will use because it obscures your vision. It does make it a little bit hard to breathe, but it's not necessarily an irritant in like the same way um, chemical weapons like tear gas, CS gas, CN gas, or you know pepper spray are. Um, but it was clear who the the LAPD was policing. They were clearly policing the counter protester yeah. side. Oh, I should have grabbed that picture. There's an amazing picture or video of um, that went pretty viral over the weekend from uh, Desert. Uh, border photographer on Twitter yes. whose handle's escaping me, but it was just... BLM border photog. Yeah, perfectly encapsulating what was going on. Perfectly encapsulating it. All of the LAPD, backs to the Trump supporters, guns facing yep. the BLM protesters, like... I mean, you can't, you literally cannot spell it out any more clearly than that. Um, but I wanted to and read several, a, several people on the, the Tahunga side um, are like literally neo-Nazis. Like these are not just run of the mill Trump supporters. Some of these were the same people who were out at Mike Bonin's house uh, about uh, two weeks ago um, being just crazy out there and stealing shit off of Mike's lawn because, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but another guy actually brought a gun and there are, there is photo evidence of a, a Trump protester with a small pocket, looks like a 38. <sighs> Um, uh, little semi-automatic. Um, but this is a common theme that we're seeing is Trump and MAGA folks and right-wingers showing up with guns. And it's something we saw a little bit in the, in the chop where in order for community defense to happen, especially in the heightened escalated, um, uh, situation in Seattle during that period, there was like community defense that had guns and did use them on occasion. Um, at the same time, we saw a lot of Proud Boys, especially guys like Tiny Toast, who's a convicted felon and he's on probation right now, um, showing up on the outskirts of like the chop and assaulting people um, with at least one guy who had a gun. Um, and so this is kind of a common occurrence is we keep seeing guns popping up on the right-hand side in more and more of these rallies. And especially when you look at places like Texas or Arizona, places where uh, open carry and concealed carry is very legal. Like in the state of Arizona, when you turn 21, you have the right to conceal carry a gun. You don't need a license. You don't need a class. You don't need anything. You can literally just start conceal carrying a gun. Um, most other states will not let you do that um, because Arizona has such low bar for that, that sort of right. Um, a lot of other states require you to go through some sort of licensing and class. In California, it is quite a huge process. But in the state of California, having a gun on you when it's not loaded is fine. Like you can have a gun in a holster with no bullets and that's technically legal. If you ever pull that gun out, whether it's loaded or not, that is a crime. Um, and in a lot of these, uh, like what we're about to go through, not so much in Tahunga, but like in Portland, these are loaded guns. And like people have shotguns on yes. both the police side and the MAGA side. Yes. So as we get into like the end of this, where we talk about like how to defend yourself and like what to be doing in these situations, you know, keep in mind like, firearms at are at play um and that's not new for the alt-right we know that you know sort of the stereotypical profile of a mass shooter is going to be someone who pretty much falls to the alt-right sort of the ideology spectrum absolutely um so i just want to read a real quick paragraph out of that reporting that you published through knock um yeah. quote every friday in sunland tahunga a small neighborhood in los angeles 15 minutes from downtown a group of violent neo-nazis and fascists meet under the guise of a blue lives matter all lives matter trump rally they assemble out front of a big five on Foothill Boulevard at around 11 a.m. to sundown, and they have been doing so since the start of the George Floyd, George Floyd uprising. 
Their hate has been countered by members of the local community since day one. Early demonstrations would have two to three Black Lives Matter protesters standing across from a group of 10 violent fascists. A larger mm-hmm. counter demonstration occurred on Juneteenth, uh, a day the fascists had a particularly large gathering. And things have only continued to escalate from there. Reaching the point where this past weekend uh, there were shots being fired by the police into the crowd uh, in the still that you can see uh, off to the side of us here. Um, yeah. But also wanted to touch briefly on like what's been going on with that occupation here in Grand Park that you were mentioning earlier. Um, mm-hmm. There's basically there is the um, the Black Unity Encampment, uh, which has had a number of, you know, clashes and internal things going on and it's it's a bit of a complicated situation but it has been there in grand park for some time um but things escalated not too long ago uh mm-hmm. back on august 13th so uh, 10 days week and a half ago um yeah and reporting out of KCAL 9, so this is CBS Los Angeles, said, quote, according to initial reports, a group of protesters gathered in Grand Park at around 7 p.m. and defaced the statue located on Hill Street between Temple and First Streets before forcibly removing it from its base. Interesting way of saying toppling it. The statue, a mm-hmm. life-size bronze figure of America's first president dressed in military uniform, also a slaveholder, is one of 30 copies of an original granite sculpture created in 1796 that currently sits at the Virginia State Capitol in Richmond, according to the Los Angeles Department of Arts and Culture. Um, a, there are a lot of issues surrounding the uh, statues that are on display in Richmond fucking Virginia. Uh, at their state capital, there are a whole bunch of slave owners and racists and straight up Confederate generals and shit that they still have yep. sitting there in the capital because it was the capital of the Confederacy during, you know, the Civil War. Like, we've never had any kind of a truth and reconciliation process or any kind of an actual week reconstruction in this country that resulted in any kind of meaningful addressing of the absolute horror of chattel slavery. And yeah. uh, this this statue in particular, like whatever, why was there a George Washington statue in Grand Park? I don't know. Other than that, it was gifted to the statue in 1933 by an auxiliary group of the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce. Why is it there? Yeah, it's, yeah well, it's, it's, you know, the, the other thing, and this happened, we're not obviously going to share these names because that's bullshit, but yes. LAPD the day yeah. after these arrests uh, doxed all of the protesters, which I know like a lot of folks were posting on Twitter like, hey, report them, and what they did is legal. Like, yeah. it, it is. That's that's publicly available information once you get arrested. Um, it's a dick move, but it's also one where this is LAPD showing that they don't think this is going to result in any sort of an actual, you know, prosecution or conviction because the city attorney's office is now going to have to deal with this. And they're going to have to wait a year to go to trial and then find a jury that's going to really give a fuck about the fact that a statue of a man that they don't care about got knocked over in a park that our tax dollars are paying for um, in the middle of a fucking pandemic that's going to still be ongoing at that point um but lapd did this not just to like intimidate them or be like hey we can do this but they did it because one they want to cost them jobs they want to make it so that when uh somebody googles their name the next time they put in a resume they're not going to get hired and they also did it so that people who want to cause them harm will have those name that name and information like 
right-wing folks doxing people is a very real thing that happens. Like, yeah. key wiki is a thing that exists. Like, the, the folks on the alt-right aren't, you know, super good about this. They're not really all that smart or good at intimidating people, mm -hmm. but it is pretty hellish if you show up in an action, take a video that happens to go viral, and then suddenly people are calling your personal cell phone with death threats. It, it can be a very like imposing thing and something that most people don't want to sign up for. And it's just right. another way of intimidating people into silence. You know, yeah. LAPD knows that when you're engaged in these type of actions, you're taking a lot of risk and they want to increase that risk as much as possible, not because they want to see these particular people hurt, but because they want to see the next people in line not step up. Correct. They want to stop the next action from even happening. They want to stop yeah. anything. They want to, they want to reverse any progress, reverse any change and put it back to right the way it was before all the protests started happening, because that's, yeah, that's what they exist to do. They exist to enforce the status quo. They exist to continue to perpetuate this, the systemic oppression that has existed in this city, this County, this state, this country for generation after generation after generation. I mean, it's also, it's one thing where, like, what the fuck does George Washington have to do with L.A.? Like, he, he was an enslaver, and he, like, murdered indigenous people as a profession. Yeah. Like, that was what he did. That's how yeah. he got, like, his fame was the French-Indian Wars, which yep. wasn't the French fighting the Indians. It, it was, was us just murdering them. the French and the Indians. Um. And so, like, Washington's, you know, storybook kind of, like grammar school history bullshit needs to go away like absolutely. as you were saying absolutely. we've never dealt with like the absolute horror that is chattel slavery and one of the things we have to deal with is you know 30 percent of the people who or no it was more than that um Huge. like 60 percent of the people who signed the constitution uh were enslavers in one way or another um you know even alexander hamilton like the guy who's rose into sudden fame because of a really stupid fucking musical used slaves even though he didn't own them you know like that is the foundation that our city was based on and not our city well our city and well. <laughs> and you know the nation but yeah the city of la also remember like this was a spanish settlement you know spain is not in america spain's way over in europe Thanks and they just kind of came uh, here and set up a city mm -hmm. and like ended up just basically killing all of the indigenous folks through various means yep. like one of the things that that i learned when i was out on the channel islands like uh, there was a Chumash, uh, like, kind of uh, tribal enclave that was there with, you know, a few hundred people. Um, and it had been there for about a thousand years. Uh, and it was ultimately uh, finally abandoned in 1822 when the vast majority of people on the island succumbed to measles spread by uh, the Spanish and other colonialists. So that's cool. Well, so before we get on to talking about Portland and uh, the... Uh, it's saga that it is. Oh yeah, let's do Beverly Hills. Yeah, so some shit went down recently. Uh, this is and from... apparently just to just to let you all know, this is now going to be a weekly event. The right wing um, protests for Trump in in Beverly Hills is a white is a a uh, <laughs> weekly thing that's going to be happening uh, every Saturday, I believe. Um, but yeah, look look forward to uh, more of this. <sighs> Time to bust out the uh, the goggles and the helmets again. All right, so. Uh, this is a video clip of a dispersal order, uh, coming from the LAPD or is this Beverly Hills PD? It was a conglomeration of different cops out there. Beverly Hills doesn't have a big department. Uh, so they called in support from, uh, LA Sheriff's department and LAPD also because it happened on a weekend. Gotcha. Uh, you know, Beverly Hills cops are, uh, 
fucking lazy uh and they don't all work weekends because beverly hills shuts down on the weekend so uh, you know or at least they do during the pandemic um well here we go Unlawful assembly. If you remain in the area, just describe. Oh, yeah, that's for definitely purpose, oh. will be a violation of Penal Code 409. The following routes of dispersal are available: east and west of North Santa Monica. You have five minutes to disperse. That's that's what you get. You get five minutes. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, other. Uh, well, and also it, uh, something I want to point out is this dispersal order did not come until much later in the day after fights and skirmishes had been breaking out. The same thing happened in Tahunga, um, to a lesser extent. But we've seen uh, the cops standing back and standing yep. off while violent alt-right people literally assault folks and pick fights. Um, and they do not intervene until it's kind of later in the day and they, they can force everyone to go home, which again, like... I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good way to protect public safety. Like generally yep. letting people beat the shit out of each other in the streets is not seen as a sign of a, a stable and well-functioning society. So you mean beat the shit out of each other on the streets like this? <laughs> Fucking facing people? Yeah, he grabbed, uh, he grabbed their flag. Thankfully, that guy's wearing a helmet because that was brutal. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, there's one crazy biker so keyed up he starts attacking his own dudes. By the wow. way, keep, keep, an eye, keep an eye on the guy in the, the um, flag face wrap. We'll see him in a little bit. Yeah. But so then another flag gets grabbed. No, I think it's the same flag. Okay. And they continue to punch the second guy in the head and attack him, all while wearing shirts that say pedophilia is not a gender orientation. What? Yeah, because it's a QAnon rally. So remember, there's a pedophile cabal of elites that run the world. And so they were out there ostensibly to um, advocate against uh, pedophilia and child kidnapping. So... So then why aren't they doing anything about the whole, like, Epstein situation <laughs> and Trump? No, uh, Trump was a, a deep—Trump was a, a deep plant to take down Epstein. Oh, I forgot. Trump knew I the forgot. whole time, but he was he was just waiting to bust Epstein, which is okay. why he went to all those sexy parties with him. Um, but yeah, so, like, Jeez. we saw this over and over. There are just tons of videos out there of lots of fights breaking out where yeah. a lot of these folks aren't even from Beverly Hills. They're traveling up from the O.C. They're traveling down from— the high desert, like they're specifically coming to LA for this. The the guy in the Spartan armor was there, um, who's just kind of a very mentally unstable, like recovering alcoholic who um, is like, it's just a dark situation. Like if you meet that man in person, he's a very sad person who's in a lot of pain and it mm. sucks that he gets, um, you know, kind of motivated on by these rather violent alt-right people who, kind of see him as like a joker and a clown but he also goes out there and starts fights you know that's uh, that's one thing that we keep seeing in a lot of these uh, alt-right figures is that they are domestic abusers that they have violent histories and violent pasts um many of them have tried to be in the military or tried to be in law enforcement and not been able to make it um it, there's a lot of like pent-up hatred and anger that's fueling this which is why you're not going to reach them with political arguments like they don't give a flying fuck 
You know, they're out there because they like the ego rush and the id and the fact that they get to beat people up for being different than them. And that gives them a sense of control because ultimately when you look at these guys, they don't look like happy, fulfilled people. Like they do not look like somebody who is having a good time most days when they get up. But uh, to sort of put a finer point on how closely the police collaborate with the MAGA, t- the MAGA folks, uh, there was a video that somebody captured of our friend in the, the uh, American flag face wrap uh, getting an escort off of the uh, out of the park um, with a police officer clearly like being their bodyguard as they slow walk out of there and try and start more fights. Hey, look at that. There he is. Yep. I love how they definitely enforce the face mask. Also, didn't they just come out with a study that says that wearing the garter is actually less helpful? Yeah, than they don't wearing... they don't work as well. Yeah, yeah actually, you need a... it makes things yeah, you worse a... by collecting it in the, to larger particles. Look at that! Literally just oh, that's the Latinos for Trump guy. God, that guy's that guy's a piece of work. I didn't recognize him earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. That guy's been around for a while. But here the here the police just saying, hey, you violently assaulted a bunch of people. Uh, it's on camera. Uh, why don't you just go walk to your car now? Like, how about you just leave peacefully? And I, I, we may not have, have showed, or we may not have noticed, but at the end of that first fight video that we showed, uh, right at the end, there are four LA Sheriff's Department deputies just standing there doing fuck all nothing while watching these fights play out. Like literally hands on their belts, just like standing there observing it as though they're like watching it show. Um, but yeah, so these uh, Fuck that. these events have all been put together by an organizer in Beverly Hills named uh, Shiva Bagheri or Shiva Bagheri, um, who is uh, kind of an unhinged like Trump supporter, uh, uh, very cute on, uh, very anti-establishment. This the fight, that, despite the fact that like she was at a kind of a pro-cop rally, like she's protesting against masks and against the lockdown and you know that general you know trying to stop people from dying from the pandemic. But this interview with her at the end really kind of caught my attention because she makes a very, very plain call for people to arm themselves and form militias and get ready to attack people who want, like, health care and not murder cops. All right. Yeah. Jesus. If, if this doesn't change, we have to fight it. I mean, we, we have to start a massive militia against the government. This is tyranny. You know, we have a right to life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. And all of those things are taken away. By the way, the mask wearing is against your freedom of speech. How do you have freedom of speech when you have a muzzle on your face and you're six feet apart from someone? So are <laughs> We both had the exact same Just reaction. Like, don't don't wear the lead line masks, Shiva. <laughs> like don't when you're looking at the masks and one of them says like blocks everything you say versus like I'm a couple of sheets of like waxed paper get the waxed paper one people can I, hear you it's fine now I think that she was thinking of like the man in the iron mask where it's like bolted on and like restricted and you're chained into a castle cell yeah and, and it's it's <laughs> the, there's a lot of projection going on here but the part that's a little bit weird and the part where I don't want to oversell these guys as though they're like competent or anything um but the idea that the right needs to organize and have guns and be ready to enact violence is kind of what we want to be you know, pushing back against here. What 
we're asking you to organize to do is to protect yourselves and yes. protect your friends and family yes. and the people that are out there at actions with you. Um, but we have to have like a firm understanding of like where the other side does want to go. You know, if you want to read a really terrible book that will ham-fistedly lay out pretty much everything you need to know about the alt-right or like white nationalist mind, you can crack open the Turner Diaries. I would not recommend it. I would just go read a synopsis of it online because it's pretty terrible shit. But this idea of an open civil war will white people will finally be able to martially conquer the rest of the country is very much what these folks are looking for. And it's very much something that the pandemic is not letting them access because when society sort of started collapsing, people didn't go back to some feral, we hate each other and we're shooting at each other and we're like, you know, looting the grocery stores kind of state. They went to a state of mutual aid and camaraderie and community because that's what happens when humans go under pressure. Like in Golebi Tepki, there's a pillar that shows an asteroid strike happening. And we know that that, or that comet strike uh, happening. And we know that comet strike happened and caused a small ice age. And out of that ice age, humanity pulled together farther to the south and built the first real city. Jericho. So, like, we know how to survive this shit, and it's not doing what these folks want, which is breaking up into atomized, identitarian communities that don't care about us as a larger society. Um, shit's not gonna happen. Yeah, at least on the way that these idiots want. Uh, but yeah, let's let's uh, let's go on to Portland, where they're on eighty plus nights of protests in Portland, um, pretty much five nights a week. Yeah. Um, Portland Police Bureau is incredibly escalated, and we're seeing um, right-wing rallies be, be planned there. Uh, one this weekend that got significantly out of hand, not quite Charlottesville levels, but still um, not something you think you would be seeing in like a, a you know semi-major American city. Yeah, so let's uh, let's read the, the. So there's actually this piece that came out of um, that, that was published rather in the LA Times recently that talks about the long history of uh, protest in Portland and specifically the, the long history of extremely racist policing in Portland. Yeah. Uh, and there was a quote at the end of it that I wanted to pull out and read, but I also have well, a Well, I mean, of... you know, fun fun fact, uh, Oregon was founded as an all-white territory back in the day, so... Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that, apparently. <clears throat> yep. Anyway, uh, yeah, so from the LA Times article, quote... Davis Beeman long considered himself an anti-fascist or Antifa activist, anti-fascist activist, whatever. It's the same thing. Uh, though when the recent protests began, he felt uncomfortable with calls to abolish the city's police. The 38-year-old cybersecurity expert who attends protests to deliver first aid to demonstrators said witnessing the police and federal agents' use of force and crowd control munitions to disperse protesters over the last two months has changed his views. Quote, as I've gotten to know more and more history about the Portland police and its overt racism and how out of touch the police is with the community, I'm on board with getting rid of the police department and starting over, he said. Such sentiments were reaffirmed Saturday when more than 100 white supremacists and other far-right extremists staged a quote-unquote back-the-blue rally in support of the police. And so, uh, you know, things started getting... Uh, extremely heated here and i think that that's it for and, and yeah. well and, and portland has seen um a history of kind of alt-right rallies spring up there it's sort of become a poster child uh for you know what a light a lot of right-wing blogs see as like the downfall of modern american society and so people like Haley adams people like the proud boys um people like tiny toast yeah have <laughs> have you know 
bust themselves in from outside of Oregon even to uh, stage protest. Now, now Andy, I will say, actually is from Portland. Like, he actually yeah. did grow up there. Um, so he at least has a reason to be in the city. People like Haley Adams, who comes from the fucking Bay Area, has no reason to be getting right-wingers together in Portland, except they know that they want to start fights. Like, that's literally the entire point for going up there, is they know that community activists are going to respond, and that they're going to have a chance to bust some heads, and that the cops aren't going to, to you know, really give them too much grief. A couple of years ago, it came out that Portland Police Bureau had an active, uh, ongoing text message conversation with Tiny and other alt-right activists who were, like, known to have um, staged violent rallies, and Portland Police were like, yeah, well, they talked to us, and it's like, well, no shit, they talked to you. Like, there's a reason for that. You're not trying to arrest them. Like, and beyond that, we saw the oh. Proud Boys, uh, I believe it was about two years ago during a rally, um, a group of Proud Boys brought long guns to yeah. a parking garage that overlooked uh, the park where the rally the was happening. Nest, yeah. yeah, and the cops, you know, got up there and made contact with them and made them put away the guns, but didn't take the guns and didn't arrest them. They're just like, okay, you have to put them away and then let them go. And that's more sort of stuff that we see time and again where the Proud Boys and these alt-right folks are allowed to hold space. So let's kind of go through uh, some of these videos out of, uh, uh, out of Portland. Yeah. Um, and First up is the, uh, the pipe bomb. Oh, okay. So, like, so we we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. So, um, God, I, I want to say about three weeks ago, a former Navy SEAL turned law enforcement officer trainer um, attacked the end of the rally with uh, oh, three yeah. pipe bombs. That guy. Um, uh, yeah. Only, only one of them went off, I believe. The other two, or two of them went off, and one of them did not. Um, but he was identified by people on the ground who saw him throw it, and then followed him to his car. Um, he runs a. Uh, a yeah, company yeah. called Red Frog Tactical that trains police officers. He is a former Navy SEAL and a Navy SEAL trainer. Like, this is a guy who does know how to kill you. Like, yeah. we spent good tax dollars making him a very proficient murderer. Um, so he, he, sells, he sells police or shooting targets that they do are, sell. They do sell some. Yeah. Yeah. That are dressed. That, but it's it's uh, I think you, you actually used the that. Yeah. The Antifa super soldier. Yeah. That was that was uh, the album art for uh, the podcast a, a week or two ago. Um, yeah. They're also really expensive. He charges like a dollar a sheet for that, which is like <laughs> that's really expensive to shoot at. Like that's that's a pretty expensive target. You're talking well, that's about one way of explain of, uh, you know, really, truly expressing your rage by burning your your money uh, in you know yeah. similar way to throwing the Keurig. Uh, coffee makers and uh, lighting your your Cal Colin Kaepernick jersey on fire, that kind of shit. Like it's a very yep. stick it to the man uh, mechanism of giving people money for things that you then destroy. Um, yeah, smooth. So yeah, the, here's a, a a video of that uh, pipe bomb explosion. So he's over in the bushes there where the lights are shining. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it was, that was a decent sized device. It didn't have any shrapnel in it apparently. Um, but like, it was definitely there to send a message, yeah. right? It was definitely there like to warn people to stop doing this. And seeing that someone, he's now being investigated by the FBI, uh, which I think is interesting that Portland police, you know, I can understand why they would make it a federal case sort of, but also 
Um, it's just odd that Portland Police Bureau didn't jump on that. I guess they don't really care about catching a literal domestic terrorist. Uh, but so he is being investigated. We'll have to see what happens with that. I don't think yep. it's going to be a whole lot. Um, he's also got a significant amount of money if he's able to run like a law enforcement officer training setup and like those classes go for a lot of money. Like you can bill police departments for thousands and thousands of dollars per officer that goes through that shit. And it's, it's a lucrative grift that he's going on. And it's one that's becoming more common as we've sort of shifted our military from sort of an all volunteer force, which it still is a name, but to more focusing on like professional soldiers and like a reliance on special operators and like increasing the ranks of people whose literal like real job is just to go out there and kill people really, really well. And those folks end their military career and then still have 20, 30 years of productivity left in them. Well, what do they do? A lot of them, like Eric Prince, go and form like mercenary companies and literally just sell their labor back to the government or sell other people's labor back to the government, effectively forming private armies with very close connections to the government and the military. Or sell that labor to other states and set up, uh, you know, coup squads for them. Uh, so yep. up up next, we've actually got uh, this gentleman here, Alan Swinney. So you want to yeah. tell everybody so a little bit? A, so he's a proud boy leader from out of state. Um, he brought a contingent of guys that were pretty uh, violent. Uh, you see the guy with the um, uh, QAnon shield, where we go one, we go all, which just in case you're wondering is a fucking quote from a Jeff Bridges movie. Um, which they wrongly attributed to uh, JFK Jr. uh, and then decided that it was their slogan. And it's like from the movie Captain Ron or some bullshit. Um, It's, uh, yeah, no, it's not from the Captain Ron. It's from not a comedy movie. It's a movie about some sort of a sea storm. But yeah, Um, anyways, uh, this is uh, the guy with the, the sort of, uh, fallout looking get up here in the riot helmet and uh, the padded vest here uh, pointing a uh, uh, six shot revolver is Alan Swinney who came with his people just to do violence uh, throughout the rally he was pointing not just a real gun at people where he's got his finger on the trigger and the hammer cocked back uh, but also a paintball gun uh, which will show some video of that but there are like leaders leading this movement there are people with names and faces and that's something like I do want to talk about encourage you to learn more about these folks is that you know just like any corporation there's a ceo that's doing it there are people who sit at the top of these things and sort of direct their cultural movement and they're very much in it for bad reasons like they really are itching to kill someone and pretty much believing that they'll get along get away with it well because they do sometimes get away with it and there's like i mean it's yeah, it's a, well, or at least they have to push it so far. Yeah. You know, you can see video. Um, there was a video from uh, Beverly Hills that I forgot to throw up of a guy who just walked too close to the police line. So they shoved him down and arrested him and charged him with obstructing an officer when he literally hadn't done anything. So, like, if you're on the BLM side of the protest, your bar for getting arrested is very low. And if you're on the alt right side, it's like insanely high. Like pretty much you have to have killed someone to get the police to notice you. Like yep. the ultimate damage has been done at that point. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, let's see that clip of Alan Swinney. Yeah, there he is the, the tall guy with the beard. Oh, that's him. Yeah. I kind of love it when they start telling you that things won't go well. Yep. I didn't recognize him because he hadn't been uh, lit up with paint yet. 
nope, he's going to uh, he's going to pull out a paintball gun here in a second. Gotcha. Oh hey. Yep. Oh hey. And and he this video doesn't show him shooting it, but he was shooting it throughout the day. Um, the Swinney and his boys are out there protecting, kind of creating a shield wall to protect uh, Blue Lives Matter sort of bullshit rally, uh, which was supposed to uh, attract about 500 supporters, uh, attracting significantly less than that. Oh, yeah. And ultimately, the rally ended up being declared an unlawful assembly by PPB and dispersing, uh, basically being chased out. Um, by the community activists that were at home in Portland and created quite a bit of infighting on the right because this did not go well. It did not look well for them. Um, you know, there are, like, Charlottesville played really, really well to a lot of the alt-right circles, not because it was a super successful action, because it showed that they were out there and could hold their own and could start these fights and sort of, like, be the tough guys that they're claiming to. This Portland rally did not go that way. They looked overwhelmed. They looked kind of silly. Um, And, the you know, there were several guns pulled, and at least one gun was shot. So uh, let's play that video next, I believe. This is when the the alt-right folks are retreating, um, and somebody fires off a shot. Um into the crowd. It's kind of hard to tell where he's pointing. He did not shoot anyone, though. So, uh, uh, other research done by people combing over videos has been able to identify this guy. He, again, was shooting with a six-shot revolver, um, a pretty large one, it looked like, uh, if not a 357, a 45. Um, it's hard to tell from the video because it's so zoomed out, but it appears he shot into the air and not into the crowd, which we're really lucky for. But again, like firing a gun in public is not normal or acceptable behavior, uh, especially when you have a lot of like bear mace and stuff going off. Yeah. And now... The last video we're going to show from Portland is going to kind of tie into what I was talking about, about the the alt-right being allowed to hold space. So we remember the scenes from Charlottesville where a man got attacked in a parking garage by a bunch of like alt-right folks who had parked their car there. Yep. This is something similar coming out of Portland this weekend. And this is from uh, Bellingcat, um, reporter who got his finger broken by an alt-right guy <laughs> earlier in the day. There is a Jesus. family with a there's a family with a car. There's a family that needs so to be up here. Get the fuck so you're out confirming you're not letting Who fucking cares about your defensive there's perimeter? Hit me with that. We got rock. Hit me with that. We got rock. Hey, let's go. Why is he? The fuck is the point of running the? The baton across the rail. Like, what's what's the point of smashing the bars? Trying to prove he's a tough guy. Okay. Oh, that guy is running around without a mask or anything on his face. They're even bad at running away. Oh, hey, look, it's a matte black SUV. Yep. I am shocked. Completely and utterly shocked by that. Yep. And this is this also follows um, about two weeks ago, somebody pulled out of, I think, that same parking garage uh, and fired into the crowd. Again, didn't hit anyone, but fired from a car. Uh, and we're seeing that sort of happening more and more. Now, the last video 
we're going to go to here uh, is going to be from uh, Phoenix real quick. Yep. And this one uh, comes from um, a protest I want to say about three weeks ago. Sorry, I forgot to write down the date. Um, but while uh, protesters were approaching the front of the Phoenix police station, uh, Phoenix PD fired a shotgun into the air. Um, I believe it was blanks, but you can't really tell. But it's clearly like a gun gun being shot. And you can kind of see the muzzle flashes in the video. has been especially brutal especially with the arrests um they even put out a press release at one point saying they can no longer shut down streets for protests which is just basically inviting a car attack and yeah. just telling the protesters like hey we're not going to protect you um and it's kind of we've seen this in other cities over the last week um kalamazoo uh, had a really really big uh fight with the proud boys where they came out and again just came to start fights came to pick on people and came to make sure that they could, you know, cause some damage in order to prove what important tough guys they are. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we keep seeing over and over again. Um, we, we've now, there are now, uh, you know, escalating tensions out in, um, I'm totally drawing a blank now, uh, where they just shot that guy in the back. Um, oh, Kenosha. In Kenosha. Yeah, yeah, Kenosha, Wisconsin. For de-escalating a situation, for breaking up a fight, and then not for not showing proper deference to the police, they shot him in the back in front of his kids. And it was his son's birthday. His son was in the car. And so Kenosha, Kenosha is looking at more actions tonight and probably ongoing for a while. Kenosha is, again, a very over-policed, segregated city. It's the same sort of thing that we saw in Ferguson, um, where policing is very racialized. It is very targeted, where if you are a black man who tries to not do what a police officer tells you to, mm-hmm. like, your life could be forfeit. And it wasn't like he was creating a danger. It wasn't like he was threatening anyone. Like, that police officer literally shot him to stop him. Um, Jacob Blake is still alive at this point, um, but still in very serious conditions. So hopefully that becomes... Hopefully he's able to get stabilized and able to survive this um, without too much damage. Um, so but there, There's actually uh, tonight, just to highlight as we're on the topic of Jacob Blake, there's actually an action tonight happening at 9 p.m. Uh, on yep. the south side of City Hall at 200 North Spring Street. Uh, calling on basically they're, they're asking for all LA protest organizations to come out and show solidarity, demanding justice for both Jacob Blake and also for Anthony McLean. Uh, Anthony McLean is the guy who was shot in the back while he was running away from the police, uh, in Pasadena. Pasadena. And so, because even though, even though protests have been erupting across our city and nation telling police to stop shooting people, they just can't fucking help themselves. No, they cannot. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, 
Yeah, that's kind of where yeah, we're it's, at it's, right now. <laughs> you know, it, it, the the National Guard is being deployed to Kenosha uh, today, which again is not a great scene. Like the National Guard has a habit of killing people, um, not just in previous uprisings, but in this uprising uh, in Kentucky, they murdered a man who literally was having a family barbecue. They literally shot a guy dead um, because they thought he was maybe uh, with a protest and it, it's still unclear. Like there's still an investigation going on into how this man ended up dead, even though he had nothing to do with the protests and was minding his own business by all accounts. Um, here in LA, we saw the deployment of the National Guard. We've also seen the deployment of federal officers from the Department of Homeland Security and Customs and Border Patrol, or Customs and Border Protection rather, um, who are officers who aren't really trained in this stuff. Like the, the federal bench isn't very deep when it comes to being able to field officers who can deal with this. Now at the same time, when you're in the National Guard, when you're in the army you actually do a lot of training around civil unrest like when you talk to people who did boot camp during the vietnam war mm -hmm. a lot of their boot camp had to do with policing civil unrest here at home and how to deal with protests that's still the case like a lot of the tactics that we see from the police were developed overseas this is our imperial war coming home home and square is directly connected to places like abu Ghraib. the way in which like the federal officers grabbed and black bagged people off the street is yep. exactly the way we used to grab people off the streets of baghdad and kabul and yep. numerous other cities around the the world because american special forces operate in 135 fucking countries but we'll only tell you 128 of those some of those countries we won't tell you where they're operating which raises a lot of questions. Also, there's only 188 countries in the world, so we're literally in 70% of the fucking nations on the planet not telling you what we're doing. But those tactics are going to escalate, especially as we get closer and closer to the election. Like, things are going to become very unhinged, especially as people are under more dire economic circumstances. Like, we're going to see a lot of homelessness increasing. We're going to see a lot of people having to move around very suddenly. We're going to see a lot of job and food insecurity. We're going to see a lot of petty crime escalating, and we're going to see the police kill more people. Like, yeah. that's the one thing that I know is going to keep happening, is the police are not prepared to deal with this in a productive or informative way. They're only really prepared to use violence to create a sense of order, and they will keep doing that. So uh, let's talk a little bit about well, what you can do before, to stay safe at a – oh, go ahead. Before we jump into that, um, Gina uh, from White People for Black Lives just jumped into the chat and said, did you hear that LAPD just killed someone in South Central today? Well, now I did. So, yeah. Um, Happens pretty much once a week. Um, you know, uh, either LAPD or LASD, um, you know, the, the numbers of people who die in the city at the hands of police is way too high. And, and absolutely one of the things that's really tricky, and I also want to, like, push this, too, is I'm not a big fan of getting arrested um, or getting people arrested in actions. Like, I generally see that as a failure because it takes you off the board and puts you in extreme physical danger. Like, we Especially have a really a hard time. Well, yeah. And we have a really hard time tracking the number of people who die inside. Like we have a really hard time getting a hold of those numbers and getting those people identified. There's a lot of people who have died inside that we will never know about, whose names we may never know, who may not have next of kin to have been yeah. notified. And that's just a constant that's going on yeah. in these two gigantic prisons that we have in the middle of downtown LA. Like the second largest prison in the nation is sitting in the middle of downtown LA, like a mile from city hall. Like yeah. Eric Garcetti, could walk right over to Twin Towers and see what's up if he wanted to, but he doesn't fucking care. Yeah, I mean, John Horton's mom uh, comes out to these weekly protests in front of Jackie Lacey's office and speaks 
with such passion and conviction and is demanding accountability of the sheriffs who, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the 3000 boys that killed her son and beat him so hard with the flashlights that it left an imprint of the butt of the flashlight, like the label on the butt of the flashlight. It was left in his skull or in in the skin of his face. It's absolutely horrifying to look at what happens in those kind of circumstances in these jails and prisons and other detention facilities. And as you said, like we know people die on the inside and so many of them do not end up having the kind of, you know, uh, force of nature advocates to fight for justice and, or at least fight for some kind of semblance of justice on their behalf after the fact. And as you said, if people are getting themselves arrested in these actions, like taking an arrest should really, 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 really be a coordinated, anticipated, thoroughly planned and understood circumstance where people know what they're getting themselves into. They have a plan for how they're going to get out of there. Otherwise, like getting arrested in in the especially during the pandemic, you you put yourself in such an incredible uh, elevated level of risk uh, of, of just you know, there are so many ways that you could die on the inside and there's really nothing that we can do to get you out any faster other than, you know, making phone calls and those, those phone calls, while they are extremely effective, you are, you know, it's, it's not something that forces an action. It's something that provokes a reaction from the police by just annoying the shit out of them. But that doesn't mean that it's going to happen fast. It just means that they're going to be annoyed. And if they're feeling particularly vindictive, then fuck you. You're not going to be able to get out any faster just because you've got, you know, hundreds of friends calling in to, uh, you know, annoy the, the, the prison guard and get them to release you faster. So, yeah, it's it, <sighs> avoiding arrests is is, I think, an important one, especially in this day and age where uh, LAPD will slam to a van with like 12 to 18 other people and leave you there for hours. You know, if you're like me and you have a chronic illness, like I'm a type one diabetic, yeah, it's really risking my life going in there. Not just like surviving the intake process and not catching something, but being on the inside where I don't get to administer my own insulin, where like I am stripped of all those civil rights and have to rely on jail guards who literally fucking hate me to administer what I need to live. Uh, but so that being said, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, ways that you can protect yourself when you're going out. And like, I'm just gonna hit the basics real quick and then I'm gonna go into a little more, little bit more advanced stuff if you think that you're going to be in an action where things get like more escalated. So first off, never go to a protest alone. Always have a contact, always have uh, somebody who is at home or somewhere safe that you can get a hold of. Make sure you have their number written on your arm in case you do get arrested or do get into trouble. Um, it's good, I wear a medical alert bracelet. Um, some people don't wanna take ID to, to actions, I understand that, but for me it's a matter of life and death, but that has emergency contacts on it. Yep. If you do get like hurt and somebody needs to get a hold of someone, they can do that. Always bring water, bring sunscreen if it's during the day, wear shoes that are comfortable and that you can run in. Like, you may need to get out of a place quickly. You may need to move with some speed and stability. Don't be wearing heels. Don't be wearing big clunky boots that you can't run in. Wear shoes that are comfortable, that are not going to hurt your feet, and that you're able to run in effectively. Um, try and wear clothing that will protect you from the sun and from tear gas and other agents. So like long sleeves, you want to wear long pants. It may be hot out, but like your legs are way more vulnerable if they don't have a nice thick layer of denim over them. Um, try and wear stuff that's like not too baggy, not too tight. So it binds. Um, remember baggy clothes, like somebody can grab that pretty easily. Yes. Um, so you want to keep that in mind. Um, keep logos to a minimum. 
Yes, um, if you want to be less identifiable. Lack of logos is great. Um, no logos is even better. If you have to, just flip a shirt inside out and you're fine. Um, goggles and a helmet are a really important one. Like, just a bike helmet is generally fine. I generally say go with the, the skating style or the more, like, kind of BX style where it's the flatter helmet, not so much the one that's, you know, looks like a racing bike helmet. Those are good, but the racing bike helmets are made to disperse kinetic energy when you crash. Like, they're assuming that you're only going to hit that once, and then it'll save your brain and you'll get another helmet. The the BMX-style helmets, the skating-style helmets, mm -hmm. are more made for, like, blunt impacts when you're hitting your head. Not at super high speeds, not super hard, but doing it repeatedly. So they tend to hold up a little bit longer and protect your head a little bit better. That's um, a really great explanation you of want why. It, you can step up to, like, a level 3 which can be a little bit expensive. Yep, Skype is being annoying. Oh no! Hold on a second. Bushido, you're, you're, uh, we've lost pretty much everything that you were saying after. All right, hold on. I think you need to call back in. Let me, let me text you to tell you that. Um. Oh. The back. Huh. Let me... Okay. I think we got you back. Uh, yay! Look at that. There we go. Hey! Okay, we are back together again on screen. <laughs> Hooray for Skype. Uh, yeah, so I think we, we lost you right about when uh, you were finishing explaining why it is that a skating helmet or BMX helmet is oh, more yeah. useful. But before you went on to the, the, more pro, the more protective options, but I was just going to point out really quick, like that is honestly the best explanation for why those helmets are more appropriate uh, for taking to a protest than a, a standard bike helmet would be uh, yeah. than I've heard anywhere else. So props well, yeah, to you for doing standard, a good job on uh, that. Uh, 
Yeah, a, a racing bike helmet is made to help you survive one really big high impact crash because you're probably not going to crash out just cruising around. You'll probably be going at speed. It'll probably be a decent hit. And yep. what you need more than anything is something to splay off all the kinetic energy so it doesn't go right into your brain. But like I was saying, if you want to step it up, you can step up to a level 3A Kevlar helmet. They'll cost you three dollars to $500. Um, they're a little bit heavier, but they're much more effective. They will stop a bullet. This is kind of what like law enforcement is wearing and what you see soldiers wearing. Um, but it can also make you a bit of a target. But it's not a bad idea to have. Um, on that same note, Seeing as we've been talking about guns, you've probably noticed people wearing plate carriers or body armor at a lot of these actions. Um, plate carriers come in several different flavors and different like levels of protection. If you want to go all the way, it's level 3A is, again, what you're looking at in terms of like protection. You can step it down and probably still be fine. Like those would protect you from most impact munitions. They would stop you. They would stop most like small caliber handguns from a distance. But again, you're carrying a lot of weight. Like those plates are gonna add, you know, 20, 25 pounds to what you're already carrying. And they restrict your movement, they're not super comfortable, but they might be something that you're interested in wearing if you feel like things are getting that dangerous. And I can't at this point say that that's the worst idea. Again, you're talking about anywhere from like three to like $1,200 for a setup on that. Um, and it, it can be kind of hard to get your hands on them. Um, they are expensive. There is a lot of demand for them now. Um, that's one thing that's actually very scary during this time is gun sales, yeah. body armor sales, like yeah. all of that stuff is through the roof. Uh, last thing is you want to at least bring a bandana to guard yourself from tear gas and pepper spray. I would say an N95 mask or a mask with um, removable filters, like a full respirator setup is probably the way to go if you anticipate that you are going to be in the thick of it, um, or if you anticipate that you're going to be like assisting people who are coming out of the thick of it. Um, tear gas spreads very easily. You need to be careful with what's getting contaminated. Um, be careful not to spread it at all. Uh, tear gas is very much like a, it's not actually a gas. What yes. it is is fine particulates suspended in smoke. So those fine particulates are like little grains of sand that stick to you and get in your hair and stick to your body. In order to cleanse yourself of tear gas, you need to wash all of that off. And until you do that, you're going to be feeling that uh, irritation over and over again for a couple of hours. Eventually, your body will neutralize it. Um, it for most people, it'll be an uncomfortable but not a, a life-threatening experience for people with asthma or other respiratory problems it can yep. be a life-threatening experience so that's one reason you want to make sure that you take any medication that you may need with you that you repeat that the comrades that you're traveling with know what medical conditions you have should you get into distress should they need to help you or should they need to get you to a higher level of care uh lastly make sure to uh not wear contacts um because contacts they, they don't melt in chemical weapons, but what they can do is trap those particulates under the contact and against uh, the eye, which uh, is incredibly painful. And then you find yourself trying to take out your contacts in the middle of an action uh, while you're in a tremendous amount of pain and then not being able to see. So glasses covered by goggles are the way to go there. Some other things that you might have seen that you'll want to look into, depending on your level of risk that you're willing to accept and uh, the resources you're able to bear. Uh, first off is the... the um, uh, uh, shoot, what do you want to call it? Um, car <laughs> barricades, like the moving barricades at the back of marches to stop uh, car attacks. Really effective. Provides a nice, safe way for the, the marchers to move. Also provides an easy way to get somebody in your car if they overheat or get injured and need to take a ride. Like yep. it provides, you can also bring water and other stuff. So it's good to have that caravan at the back, not just for protection purposes, but to double as sort of community aid and mutual aid if people should need it there. Um, the other one is the shield. If you can do that, you are a fucking hero. Straight yeah. up. 
The other one is the the um, shield walls that we've seen out of Portland. And the shield walls are a really interesting tactic, but it's one that requires a lot of training. Mm-hmm. Like one that you actually have to know who's standing next to mm-hmm. you, who's standing behind you, that you mm-hmm. all actually do have to work together as a physical unit. Like whether you're facing off against the cops or you're facing off against a bunch of like maggot chuds, these are pretty big guys who have a lot of muscle on them and they can work up a lot of kinetic energy charging at a shield wall. So you can't, it's not just holding a shield and that's going to deter people. That will like protect you from some non-lethals and stuff like that, but it's not going to break a charge unless you effectively work together. And that sort of tactic is not something we can really flesh out here. It's just something people have to work on and get like comfortable with. And that becomes mm-hmm. kind of hard to do, right? Like we've all seen those silly goofy videos of MAGA folks and like militia folks going out to the woods and shooting stuff. It looks dumb, but at the same time, they are giving themselves space to practice. Yep. That's something that we should be talking about, even if it's just as simple as like, how do you effectively block a punch so you don't get hit in the head? How do you effectively like get clear of someone by kicking Mm -hmm. them on the instep and like get a couple of feet from them? You know, fights and like being injured versus walking away unscathed is a matter of inches. It's a matter of seconds. And like these are scary, scary experiences where your rational head leaves your body for the most part. You have to train yourself to be able to handle that and still be on your feet. Like that's why we train police officers and soldiers so much in these things so that it just becomes muscle memory. And for folks who are going to be out there on the lines, folks who are going to be putting themselves at risk, these are skills that you need to start thinking about and and thinking to develop. Because if you're just going out there and setting yourself out on a line without any way to get away, without any way to protect yourself, you're just fodder for the cops. Yeah. You're, you're just going to be churned through the system, and that's not the point. The point isn't to generate thousands of arrests or to send thousands of, people's, uh, thousands of people to jail for the night and generate like thousands of court cases. The point is to effectively demonstrate and express our rights and then get home safe, each and every one of us. That's um, – I, I literally cannot sum it up any better than that. Uh, that's fantastic. You want to talk any uh, any bit about street medic stuff, uh, de-escalation roles? No, I mean, I would say, you know, it, when you're doing, like, for street medicing and de-escalation, I thought I was going to have a little bit more time here, but uh, we're running <laughs> we're, long. and I'm, We're going real I'm long. I'm pretty tired, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so what I'll say is, you know, take a first aid class. Yes. Learn how to bandage a wound. Learn how to wrap an ankle. Learn how to wash someone's face off after they've been tear gassed. These are very easy skills to acquire and stuff where, like, you don't need to be a committed medic to have what you need to help someone in the moment. Um Knowing how to do bigger stuff, like how to patch a bullet wound, how to deal with a broken leg or a broken arm or a broken rib, how to deal with with like a head injury are things that you can get training on. And it's not incredibly difficult, hard stuff. Um, the Red Cross offers it. There are various like um, uh, anarchist medical collectives that that offer some training documents on that, if not training at the moment. But these are things that you should learn and things that you can learn, even if you don't want to be like a dedicated medic. Even if you just want to have skills to make sure that if the person next to you trips and sprains their ankle, you can help get them to safety, get them patched up. And so they're able to make their way home. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, I think on that note, let's uh, get basically to the, the end of things here. Um, I just wanted to put a copy of uh, the Jackie Lacey protest yes. notice up on the screen because I have it. Um, I just <laughs> hadn't prepped to put it up on the thing give me just a moment uh, there it is is it gonna let me load it yeah oh wow it actually was super cooperative this time around and bam there it is 
uh, every Wednesday. Um, you know, we've we've been saying this for uh, I think like as pretty much. I want to say what was it like maybe thirty episodes in or something like that when we realized we needed to be talking about this stuff. Um, yeah. Every fucking Wednesday, they've been doing this for almost three years now. Um, yeah. Black Lives Matter now in conjunction with Build Power. Uh, are hosting a, a a weekly rally in front of the Hall of Justice. Um, if you've, you're hearing about this for the first time, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we talk about it all the time. Uh, this one is on Wednesday, August 26th, 3 p.m. Uh, 211 West Temple, the Hall of uh, in front of the Hall of Injustice. Uh, BLM Los Angeles is going to be there. They're going to be up on uh, on Instagram Live. Uh, it's going to be a special uh, protest this week. We the the um, I forget which family uh, of victims it is, but there's going to be one that uh, one of the families that's not always there is going to be making it out and making a special appearance. Uh, so please do turn out, uh, turn out in force. Uh, Jackie needs to be kept on her heels. Uh, she yep. lied uh, this Sunday in a town hall and said that uh, that Molina is the reason, like that Molina is refusing to meet with her, uh, which is some complete and utter bullshit. Jackie Lacey is the one who refuses to meet. Um, do not believe anything she says because she just straight up lies all the damn time. Uh, yep. Other actions going on, uh, like I said earlier, at nine o'clock tonight, there's going to be an action in front of City Hall. Uh, calling for uh, you know justice for yet more uh, lives that have been taken or yeah, are for, threatened from uh, Jacob. Yeah, Jacob Blake specifically, um, yes. and and um, uh, shit, I just forgot his name. McLean. Alec McLean. Yeah. Or yes. Anthony McLean. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. This. You know, it's been a long day. Sorry. Uh, other things coming up. I'm drawing a bit of a blank right now. I apologize. Um, yeah, no ways. We also have our, our weekly Thursday meetings, seven yes. Thursday, or seven Thursday, seven thirty <laughs> on Thursdays. Um, yeah. Drop us a line if you want to get Thursdays. the Zoom link on that. We'll get you yep. onboarded. Um, we have a pre meeting for new members at seven, um, just kind of explaining what's going on. Uh, even if you're not interested in joining Ground Game long term and you just want to see what we're up to, please drop by. Things are going to get very exciting. Uh, also, uh, Nithya Raman. Godfrey Plata, Fatima Iqbal, um, Zubair, and uh, Constantine Anthony are four Correct. candidates the ground game has endorsed, and we're saying go out and start volunteering for them. Make some calls, write some postcards. We're not knocking doors, but uh, Nithya is doing socially distanced door hangers. So if you do want to go out there and pound the pavement and drop some literature off with your neighbors, we could really, really use you in the last 71 days before the election. If you're listening to this the day after I post, put up the podcast, it'll be 70 days, yep. uh, and then you're just going to have to do the math from there. I, 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 you know. If you're <laughs> listening I, to this in like two Thursdays, I don't know how many days that'll be. Yeah, I'm, and I'm I bad at math. Uh, so Godfrey is having a birthday fundraiser on the 28th. Uh, we'll include information about that as well. Uh, there is also there are constantly opportunities to do uh, texting and phone banking uh, for both Fatima and Nithya uh, and Godfrey, I believe, uh, and Constantine. Every the, all of these candidates that we have endorsed, there are lots of easy ways for you to get plugged in and support them. Please, please, please go out and do that. Um, but yeah, so as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing, just being made, made aware of, go ahead and send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page. You can reach us through Ground Game on, uh, at Ground Game LA on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, at Christopher Roth for me, at Bushido Squirrel for Bushido. Uh, yeah, we're not hard to find. We tweet a lot. We tweet way more than we should. Way, 
way more than we're we very should. online uh extremely online uh so yeah this podcast and every ground game podcast is a production of knock.la you can support our work over on patreon.com slash knock underscore la as we've mentioned in the past we are gearing up to start creating some fun merch to go along with that uh and it'll be really fun i'm looking forward to getting hopefully some enamel pins we're not quite sure what the other products are going to be but uh yeah i got some ideas too i'm going to pitch at the uh, the next uh, the next meeting. Oh, and Gina is reminding me that tomorrow is the police commission meeting. Uh, the Los Angeles police uh, commission is meeting on Tuesday mornings as they always do. Uh, and then also simultaneously. So that's, that starts at nine 30, I think in the morning. Um, there's also going to be a city council meeting happening at 10. I will be back here on, uh, twitch.tv slash ground game LA doing the knock live tweeting. I'll be back here again on Wednesday for it as well. Uh, it's a thing. We do it a lot. It's fun. Uh, check, of course, the description of this podcast for sources, links to actions, and social media links. And as always, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you guys are amazing out there. Uh, Gina is yeah. reminding me that it is 930 for the police commission. So thank you, Gina, for tuning in. I'm sure I will see you, Gina, on Wednesday, as I will all of the rest <laughs> of the folks from White People for Black Lives. Uh, check them out as well. They do some amazing, amazing work. Uh, and it's a yep. really great way for uh, for white folks who are uh, not necessarily the most comfortable with getting involved in uh, you know solidarity work with folks like Black Lives Matter. Uh, that maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable for you, uh, hop over to White People for Black Lives, learn about you know what it really means to be a white ally. Uh, and of course, the, you know, there, there are other groups out there if you are not a white person who is listening to this podcast, uh, as I'm sure there are at least a few of them. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back here again probably not the same time next week. No, <laughs> I'll see you all, I'll see you all on, <laughs> yeah, I'll see you all on Wednesday in the live show uh, and then probably yeah. next weekend. Oh yeah, uh, you're, stay you're safe hosting, out there, uh, take care of each other. Yeah. You're hosting on Wednesday. Wednesday. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah so everybody and we forgot to mention that. Wednesdays 8 to 9, we've got uh our 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 fun weekly live show that we do. Uh <laughs> you're you're the you get to be a host again this week. I get to, you know, yep. click the buttons and make the pro, make the production stream. Uh, just like what we're doing right now. So anyway, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, see you again soon. <laughs> Later. <Bye. laughs>